Number 348, we've been asked to mark that and use that at the appropriate time in the service a bit later this evening. It is good, as Brother Gary mentioned earlier, that we've been permitted and blessed the opportunity to assemble as we have and that this number of individuals interested in those things of God have chosen to invest your Sunday afternoon and early evening in such a way as this. Indeed, didn't the psalmist say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up unto the house of the Lord, Psalm 122, verse number 1. As you probably noticed in the bulletin, is also on the wall to my left, we'll continue tonight our series of studies, our lessons involving the Bible and physics. As you can see, we've already arrived at the fifth installment in that series of lessons. It has been our hope and aim all throughout it, quite frankly, to be reminded not that the Bible is a physics textbook, but that whatever it says, even concerning matters touching the subject of physics, are exactly correct. And in many instances... What was revealed and written predated the actual discovery in science by hundreds and sometimes even thousands of years. That has encouraged us to realize time and again that it wasn't man that wrote this book. But all along it was the power and wonder of the Holy Spirit that invested in man to write what he by his own discoveries didn't know at the time. When it came to matters of science especially, we have noticed that that foreknowledge has been an impressive thing to revisit. We've seen it in terms of the physics of the air, the physics of the oceans, the physics of the atom, the physics of thermodynamics, the physics of astronomy, all of them. And every time we have revisited those matters, we've been reminded that what the Bible said has turned out to be correct in every instance. Tonight, as we come to this next lesson in the series... We shall begin by looking interestingly at not only that passage that Brother Cale read a moment ago, but also the passage found in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4. It is in that particular location that we find the following. Before you take a notice to what's going to occur, I would invite you to think carefully with me about that passage in Hebrews 3 verse 4. It says there, "...for every house is builded by some man." But he that buildeth all things is God. And immediately it seems rather apparent that the inspired writer wished for us to appreciate that when there is the appearance of design, when there is the obvious occurrence and existence of it, there is only but one conclusion. There had to be a designer. And there had to be an architect, if you please, that put that matter in place. It didn't happen of its own accord and it did not happen accidentally. That particular thought, though, is one that though it occurs in that place in the Bible, it seems to be found in so many others. I wished to start the lesson tonight with some quotations. These quotations have the following as their design. There's a clear lesson that I want us to see in them. Now, these are quotations from some of the most well-respected, scholarly, and professional scientists over the last century. So I would invite you to listen with some care to what these gentlemen or ladies, as the case may be, have chosen to say. Their words are very carefully selected clearly by them, and the message we really cannot miss. Once we have looked at these conclusions, or at least these statements, then I wish for us to revisit the Word of God and notice some amazing things. The first quotation is this one. Dr. Fred Hoyle was one of the most preeminent astrophysicists from the nation of Great Britain over the last century. In fact, 
there was a period of time in which the most respected inflationary model of the universe was due to him. Listen to what he had to say on one occasion. A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect is monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Now, if I might put in my own language what Dr. Hoyle has asserted, he says, somebody, some intellect has orchestrated the laws of physics. They haven't occurred blindly. They haven't occurred randomly. There has been something that has put them in place that has led to this universe we now see. It is pure design by an intellect far greater than man. Those are the words now of Dr. Hoyle. However, notice Dr. George Ellis, another British astrophysicist. Amazing fine-tuning occurs in the laws that make this complexity possible. Realization of the complexity of what is accomplished makes it very difficult not to use the word miraculous without taking a stand as to the ontological status of the word. The first part of that is the more critical matter for us tonight. Here is a scientist, an astrophysicist at that, and he simply says, there has been amazing fine-tuning in physics. Fine-tuning, I'd like you to keep that phrase in mind. It will reappear a number of times in the lesson tonight. These laws of physics that we have studied that touch the matter of the atom, the matter of thermodynamics, the matters of astronomy and other things, these have been finally orchestrated and tuned by a master engineer. Someone has put them in place in the way that we now appreciate them. These two quotations perhaps lead us to some additional ones. Dr. Paul Davies is one of the most well-known of the scientists again over the last half century or so. Many of his books have skyrocketed to the top of the bestseller chart. He's very skilled at being able to write in a way that we all can appreciate and understand, and this is what he had to say. The laws of physics seem to be the product of exceedingly ingenious design. The universe must have a purpose. Please notice that this wasn't a biblical scholar that wrote that. And it wasn't an individual who one might appreciate was a preacher, if you please. He was simply a physicist. And did you notice again he said that this universe, the laws of physics, are the result of exceedingly ingenious design. Beyond that, Alan Sandage, a rather, rather famous astronomer, I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God, to me, is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence, why there is something instead of nothing. Here's yet another scientist who, upon looking at the evidence that he sees, what he seems to observe all about him, and it seems to shout to the existence of a grand designer, he says it could not have simply come out of chaos. John O'Keefe, an astronomer at NASA, I found it very intriguing what he had to say. We are, by astronomical standards, a pampered, cosseted, cherished group of creatures. 
If the universe had not been made with the most exacting precision, we could never have come into existence, according to him at least. It is my view that these circumstances indicate the universe was created for man to live in. Here is a NASA scientist who said the evidence that he seems to be seeing points to the fact this universe was made for man to live in. It was carefully orchestrated and carefully designed for that purpose expressly. Another example, the astronomer George Greenstein. As we survey all the evidence, the thought insistently arises that some supernatural agency, or rather agency with a capital A, must be involved. Is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, we have stumbled upon scientific proof of the existence of a supreme being? Was it God who stepped in and so providentially crafted the cosmos for our benefit? That's an amazing question from an astronomer. Roger Penrose, arguably one of the most famous mathematical physicists of the last century, maybe second only to Einstein himself, I would say the universe has a purpose. It's not there just somehow by chance. There may be no one on earth today more knowledgeable of general relativity than him. And yet, that's what he said. I would submit that somehow there are a whole host of scientists because we seem not to hear too much about the comments of these. We seem to hear about those who portray that there's no God, that there's no evidence of such, that there's no designer, but yet these well-respected scientists, in fact, seem to be saying exactly the opposite. Vera Kostakowski, a rather famous MIT physicist, the exquisite order displayed by our scientific understanding of the physical world calls for the divine. Robert Jastrow, a self-proclaimed agnostic, but quite frankly, a well-known, again, physicist. His comments I've always felt to be very graphic. I'd invite you to listen carefully to what he had to say. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Picture it. Science who, in many ways, we seem to think they want only to rely on the power of human reason, the capability of human conclusion, the observation and discovery that goes with it. And here he says, look at where we are. These scientists that have now climbed seemingly the highest rock. And on the other side is what this evidence concludes is the existence of God and theologians and Bible believers have been there for centuries. Amazing, isn't it? I would like to think more comments like this would be in the books that our children use in schools, but sadly they're not. Hopefully the professors can share it with them, but again, more often than not, they don't. Just a handful more, and then we'll be finished with these, with these kind of comments at least. Frank Tipler, the author of one of the most popular physics textbooks for probably two decades. This is what he had to say. When I began my career as a cosmologist some 20 years ago, I was a convinced atheist. 
I never in my wildest dreams imagined that one day I would be writing a book purporting to show that the central claims of Judeo-Christian theology are in fact true. That these claims are straightforward deductions of the laws of physics as we now understand them. I have been forced into these conclusions by the inexorable logic of my own special branch of physics. Here's a gentleman that says, My work, the evidence that I see in physics and the laws that surround me as the branches of physics have led me to the conclusion there is a God. And this universe can be explained in no other reasonable way than Him. Alexander Polyakov. We know that nature is described by the best of all possible mathematics because God created it. Those are the very words of this gentleman, this Soviet mathematician. Doctors Zhigavi and Dekel. This type of universe, however, seems to require a degree of fine-tuning of the initial conditions that it is apparent, that it is in apparent conflict with common wisdom. There's that phrase, fine-tuning again. I mention these particular quotations for the express purpose of highlighting that we are surrounded by this universe that the God of heaven has fashioned and made. And those scientists that are willing to admit it and that in fact face the facts in a head-on fashion seem to have written to the very conclusion that it wasn't just happenstance and it wasn't just some other kind of mindless occurrence. I would invite all of us now to ask this question, what kind of evidence have these scientists seen that has led them to this conclusion? What kind of fine-tuning have they witnessed and have they considered that has led invariably to the fact that there is a super agent, a God, a mental intellect, whatever they wish to call it, but you and I know it's the almighty, awesome God of the Bible. What are some of these evidences? I'd like to use the rest of the lesson tonight to merely look at a few issues and evidences a few matters that help us appreciate this fine-tuning as a reality. It'll be my attempt to describe these as best as I can. And quite frankly, they all come out of physics. That's what I'm the most familiar with. But as I describe them, I hope to paint them in a way so that we can all understand the nature of what's being described. It's not my intent to use long equations. That won't be necessary. There will be occurrence of some numbers on occasion. Our first one takes us to Romans chapter 1 verse 20 and I hope to use that a number of times in the remainder of the lesson tonight. I'd invite you to notice it again. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." You'll notice Paul, the inspired writer, there rather plainly said, the invisible things are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. As you and I give thought to the things that God made, the testimony and the declaration of what we see about us, I would invite you to think, are we not going to see over the next few moments the fact that all of that points to the fact His fingerprints are all over it? It could not have been any other way. Here's a very brief listing of some of them. We looked at the atom in a previous lesson of this series. 
Our youngsters are taught from an early age that in the atom there are these particles called electrons and protons and neutrons. The charge on the electron and the charge on the proton is something that science has measured and those values are so intricately known. Consider this with me. The charge on the proton and that on the electron are exact opposites of each other. One of them is positive and one of them is negative. But they are exact opposites. They don't differ by the slightest amount in no matter how many decimal places. Ponder that just a moment. If that imbalance was off by only one or two parts in several trillion, the atom would not be stable. The cell could not exist and life as you and I know it could not be. What led to that fine-tuning exactness in the charge on those two particles? Was it happenstance? Just can't believe that. Not only that, think about the number of, that, of the value of that charge. It is a number that we could discuss at length, but the point is, suppose with me just a moment that that number were the slightest bit different. You'll notice I have written for you a particular constant that goes with the character of that number. If that number were slightly different, either bigger or smaller, the force existent in the atom would then be either too small or too large. The atom would no longer be stable. And this life as you and I know it could not be. Scientists have known for a long time that number is that special. I wonder how it ended up being that special and who organized it that way. Paul said in Romans 1.20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Consider another one with me. This solar system and this universe that you and I appreciate so well, there is a force called gravity. We know it holds earth in orbit around the sun. It holds moon in orbit around our earth. It is a very, very strong force, but notice it's described by a constant. It's awfully small. Question, suppose that constant were somewhat smaller than that or somewhat bigger than that. Here are the consequences. If it were any smaller than that, the earth wouldn't revolve around the sun the way that it does. This earth could not maintain its orbit the way that it does. It would fly off into space. If that constant were any stronger than that, earth would spiral into the sun. It was exactly chosen to permit an orbit descriptive of planet earth around the sun as you and I appreciate it. That's an astounding conclusion. Are we to believe that was accidental? Are we to believe that its value somehow ended up to be just that? Two constants so far, and both of them are exactly the right value. What about a third consideration? There's a constant, maybe, arguably, one of the most well-known in physics. It's called the fine structure constant. It is a constant that, in fact, determines, dictates, and orders the absolute structure of the electrons in their shells around nuclei. This constant has the value of 1 over 137. If that value were any larger than that, if it were any smaller than that, the atom, as you and I know it, could not be. Fine-tuned? Absolutely. Specially chosen value? Without a doubt. 
And yet this fine structure constant is an absolute feature. And in fact, it is that constant that many of those scientists were thinking of when they said something has monkeyed with the laws of physics. The value of this constant is exactly what it would have to be in order for the sale, for life, for atoms, for all the things that you and I appreciate to exist. The God of heaven orchestrated that constant. Call it the fine structure constant if you will, but God's fingerprints are all over it. This constant that we've called the fine structure constant, in fact, perhaps takes us to another consideration. Inside the atom, we also know that in addition to those electrons, there are those protons and neutrons that exist in that entity we call the nucleus. That nucleus is also one that has been the subject of much investigation, much research, there are some constants that describe the forces involved in that nucleus. Just for sake of usage, I call them the nuclear force constant. I would like to suggest to you that if that value, that constant was any larger or any smaller than what it is, then the nucleus of the atom would not be stable. And even stable atoms like oxygen that you and I need to breathe... Even those stable atoms like the well-known hydrogen that is used to make up water, they would not be able to exist. Was it, again, accident? Couldn't have been. All the properties associated with that nuclear force and all the constants that go with it were finely tuned. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So far as we have looked at the various consequences of if you change the value of these constants any, you would find a very different world, perhaps even a world in which there could be no life, couldn't be individuals like you and me. We have only scratched the tip of the iceberg in some ways. Many other of the constants of physics would fall into a category similar to those we've noted. I'd like to mention a few of them in passing. The speed of light. Perhaps you're aware that light travels very quickly, some 300 million meters every second. That's incredibly fast. But yet when you ponder, what if the speed of light were any different? What if it were slower? What if it were faster? I'd submit to you that the speed of light is a factor in that fine structure constant. If you change the speed of light, you change the fine structure constant. And as we noted earlier, the atoms and stability that goes with them would no longer be possible. Even the speed of light was finally orchestrated by a super infinite power. As God did that, I've listed for you that light and the subject of it and its speed is a critical part in the special theory of relativity. That nature of relativity is what explains some of the features of atoms in terms of their spin. If you change the speed of light, you change those properties. Our God knew what He was doing. No wonder that one comment we noted earlier, it's as if this universe has been orchestrated with earth and with human beings in mind. It was put in place to help us appreciate that there was a designer. Look at another example. The properties of water. Our chemistry friends and our biology friends would be quick to point out a number of the characteristic properties and features of water. 
I'll only list a few of them. There are three that I have chosen to list for your careful consideration. Water is the most abundant substance on earth. You and I know that our bodies need it for survival. We understand how careful it is in terms of allowing climate to exist the way that it does. Consider this. Water has the ideal density that allows it to play the role that it does in our environment. In terms of its chemical makeup, notice the bonding angle. That single oxygen and those two hydrogens exist at a certain angle between them. If you change that angle, you change all the properties, and furthermore, you change the dipole moment of the molecule. And if you change that, then the characteristic features that allow it to move through the cells of the body are all changed. Tell me now that's accidental. That was carefully contrived. Every aspect of water, its chemical properties, its mechanical properties, all of it come by way of design. Beyond the features of water, even the elements in radioactivity, we do know that there are some elements that are unstable. Our friends in the medical community have learned to use radioactive tracers to help diagnose diseases, and at times that's a good thing. But notice this. Some of those features of radioactivity, again, depend on constants that have been carefully prescribed. What if you change them? Then that means even the proton might not be stable. Even the water molecule then would not be stable. You see the idea. If we change any of these constants, we suddenly are in a world that doesn't sustain life at all and in one that is very, very different than the one in which we live. There have been some who have noted that if you actually walk down the list of the various constants in physics, I've only chosen a few of them. It seems as if every one of them, if you change it much, you would in fact arrive at a position in which the environment of this earth would no longer be as it would need to be. I chose one last one. The various abundances and masses of the nuclei of atoms. As you give thought to every one of them, you arrive at a conclusion very quickly that's this. If you change those masses, then that changes the forces we mentioned earlier. And if you change the forces, you change the stability of the atom. The stability of the atom is a required thing for you and me to survive. For life to exist as we know it. And as we look back to the Bible, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. One of those constants that I mentioned earlier was that gravitation constant. I mentioned if you change that much, then Earth's path around the sun is no longer as it now is. We would be too far from the sun and the planet would be too cold or we'd be too near the sun the planet would be too hot. God has positioned earth in exactly the right place. And all of these constants allow that existence to be. When you and I reflect on Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, isn't it then an amazing consideration? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When God put in place the earth and all the laws of physics that went with it, all of these laws then are able to point directly back to Him converging to the conclusion invariably that He exists. 
and that there simply is no other way it could be explained. Those scientists before and those quotations that we noticed, it's no wonder that they often use the phrase fine-tuned. When a mechanic works on an engine, it may run roughly, but after he works on it, it runs smoothly because he's fine-tuned it. Maybe he adjusted the carburetor. Maybe he adjusted the timing. Maybe he adjusted any number of other things. It's as if all of these constants are open declarations to the fact that God fine-tuned this universe. May we as older ones appreciate that and may our youngsters come to know it too. There will be many times that I suspect they'll face a teacher who really has no concept of what we've learned tonight. But I hope that we will be reminded time and again of the fact that this universe is an open book teaching us from it seems every vantage point that there is a God. It's no wonder that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14.1. And it's no wonder that these verses we've studied and looked at briefly tonight point us to some, to some conclusions that we might state like this. Tonight, as we have looked at all those things, may I say that those quotations and our comments about design and the fine-tuning of this universe have been an astounding reminder of just how special God's creative work was. In Hebrews 11 verse 3, it again says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are made were not made of things which do appear. That is a remarkable statement, isn't it? It could be tonight that as we each have had our faith encouraged by the thought of what God has made and the testimony of this universe about us, as you and I analyze our life, where do you and I stand? Surely it would be foolish to claim there's no God. Surely it would be foolish to claim that God did not do this. It is with that I would invite you to close the lesson with me in Isaiah 45, verse, eight, verse 18. Where there it says, This earth was made to be inhabited. And that word made indicates it was fashioned with purpose. It was fashioned with a design in mind. It did not come about by accident. Have you then humbly relinquished control of your life to the one who made all of this? And the one who sustains it day by day by the word of His power, Hebrews 1 verse 3. The plan of salvation then calls us to give full control of our life to this one who has given this universe as a physical testimony to Himself. If tonight you haven't taken care of that need in your life, don't delay any longer. Don't procrastinate for there may not be a tomorrow. Why not come to Him now? Why not come to Him tonight? You need to believe with all your heart that He is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His matchless name as a Son of God, and be baptized. If you have attended to that need, but you haven't been faithful to that calling, come back to your first love, invite us to pray with you and for you, to God, for your forgiveness, and we'd be more than honored and happy to do that very thing. This series on the Bible and science, the Bible and physics, has been a constant reminder that this book does testify even scientifically that there is a God. Won't you believe Him? Won't you follow Him? Won't you obey Him? If we could assist you in taking care of that tonight, won't you let us assist you by letting us know in the way we can help and to do that at once while together we stand and while we sing.